You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Simpsonville teaching pastor, Jason Thompson. Well, we are going to be in 1 Samuel to start out with, 1 Samuel chapter 1. So if you don't have your Bibles, please go ahead and pull one out from the pew. I really want you to read along with this story. Um, It's a very familiar uh, story about Samuel and and, and Hannah, his mother, and how that came about. Um, And so I I, I love this story. It's a very encouraging story. and this message has been on my heart for quite some time. So I'm ready to, I'm ready to get it out of my head and, and onto you guys. And so I know I'm about to butcher some Hebrew names. So please just ignore that. Just go, just follow along, pretend that I did it the right way. And, and let's, let's read about the story of Hannah and her faith. This is uh, chapter one, first Samuel verse one. There was a certain man from Ramathium, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkanah, son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah had none. All right, Hannah you've probably heard of. Panina you probably forgot because no one calls their child Panina, all right? Now, I, I think it's kind of a beautiful name. But you never hear it because Panina is not cast in a very positive light in this story. But let's read on. Let's see, let's see what the problem. Well, we already know what the problem is. It was already said in verse 2. He had two wives. That right there, that's the problem. All right, so here we go. Verse 3. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you not, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Let's just stop right there. All right. Let's talk about it. All right. So there's a lot of stuff going on. And it's easy, honestly, if you read the story all the way through, there's only one likable character, in my opinion, and that's Hannah. Like, no one else in the story is very likable. Um, Elkanah got issues here. He, he goes to church. I mean, he goes to, he's a, he seems to be faithful in the Lord, but why does he have two wives? Where did this come about? And, he, you know, he, he seems a little bit arrogant here. We're going to see Eli, the priest. He's going to be confused here and really not be in tune with what the Lord is doing at, at first. And then you have Panina, and, and she is just being cruel. But I do, but this is not a fairy tale. This is not where you have a heroine and you have a bunch of ogres and villains. These are real people. This is a real story and this is real life. And real life is hard. And I I think Panina needs a little bit of grace. 
There's a, I mean, there's a phrase in here that says that Elkanah loved Hannah. And you have to wonder if this was kind of like a Jacob and Rachel situation where it was obvious that Elkanah, the husband, loved Hannah more than Penina. And that's a deep wound. That your husband, your life partner here that you have joined together with, is showing affection and more love for another woman. And so I think it's a pretty natural reaction to try to take down your rival. They're, they're rivals for his love and attention and affection. And here, she's using the only thing that she had, the same way that Leah used the only thing that she had, producing sons and daughters. And here, she's produced sons and daughters, and this man still loves this other woman who's not producing him sons and daughters more than her. And so she's just attacking her rival. It makes sense. It's not right. It's not the godly way to respond, but it makes sense. But Hannah's broken. Her womb is closed. And there are, are many people in, the, in this church, in the community at large, that have experienced this pain. Where they, they, their deepest desire of their heart is to have a family. And it's not on the table. They want to hold a child of their own in their arms and they are unable. And that is a deep, soul-wrenching wound. And the immediate thought is, is, I'm broken. Man or woman in the situation that where the couple is not able, like, is something wrong with me? Does God not care? Is God not listening. That is hard. And I think of all the single people who want relationship, who want family. And they're, they're serving God. They're following God. They're trying to do, do things the right way. And yet it's just not happening. That is, that is heartbreaking. And that is hard. And the church needs to rally around them and fill their lives with the community that they need. But ultimately, the only person that can fill that hole is Jesus. He's the only one. And it's kind of comical that Elkanah here is like, why are you sad? Why are you downcast? Aren't I better than 10 sons? No, no, you're not, Elkanah. Now, don't do it. All right, don't even look at your spouse. Don't even think this way, all right? But it would be very difficult if you put someone on the spot, a mother on the spot, husband or child, all right? That is a tough choice. Don't even look at your spouse. Don't even think about it, all right? But if you start adding a second child, a third, 10 sons? No, no, Elkanah, you're gone, all right? The choice between 10 sons and you, you're gone, all right? The choice is easy. And, and think of the, the, the arrogance of, of saying, I can fill your need, every need. Why am I not enough? But you know that that is a real response. That is a human response. When someone goes through some kind of depression, it is easy for their loved ones around them to go, 
why can't I make you happy? Why am I not enough? Why is my love not able to get through to your depression, your sorrow, your heartache? And it's not a healthy response. It's not helpful for those who are going through tough times to hear that. You are heaping burden on top of an already heavy burden of someone who's going through a tough time, and a time of depression, a time of being downcast, a time of sorrow. But it hurts. It hurts when you see a loved one so down when you are trying everything you, you can do to make them happy. But sometimes depression is, is, a menta- is something that's going on in your chemistry, your bio- body chemistry. Sometimes it's something that is difficult to control. Sometimes it's spiritual attacks that, that they didn't open themselves, but it's just, it's happening. And so we need to walk around people who are going through a hard time with grace, with grace and not assume that we know what's wrong with them or what, what they need. We need to listen to them and try to understand them the best of our ability and try not to make it about ourselves. Circle them with love. But ultimately, the only way to heal someone going through a tough time is to point them to Jesus, the great healer, the great physician. He's the only one that can fill that need and do a supernatural work. And friendships help, church helps, counseling helps. All those things are very important. But ultimately, none of us will be filled without Jesus in our lives. There will always be a hole. There will always be something missing. He is a source of our strength. And so Hannah does the right thing. So verse 9, this is what it says. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have, I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. There's a lot of things that Hannah does right here. First and foremost, she takes it to the Lord in prayer. She goes to the source that can bring healing to her. Even if he wasn't to grant her request, he's the source of all peace. And comfort. So she goes there. And I find it odd 
that she's sitting here pouring her heart out and praying in a, in a church setting and the priest's natural inclination just thinks she's drunk. And it's a sign of just how broken the times were at this time, that there weren't people devoted in prayer in the sanctuary. And, and, and here it, he is thinking that she's drunk. But once he hears her prayer, and it's a, it's a beautiful prayer. And I mean, there's some selfishness to it, obviously. I mean, she wants a, a son. I mean, she says, give this to me, Lord. Remember me. So she's praying for something that she desperately wants. But she also, she's bartering here. If you do this, Lord, if you remember me, then I will give him back to you. He will be a servant for you for the rest of his life. And so she pours out her heart in anguish. Eli hears her. And then this is important too. Here, here is a spiritual father who, says, who, who couples with her and says, go and may God give you this. He joins in her prayer. And then another beautiful thing, her response is to go and, and clean up. She walks away with a resounding amount of faith. I, she believes. She believes she was heard. And she says, I'm at least going to trust that he can do this and, and possibly will do this. I'm going to go and, and act like he will. And so she's comforted. And then this is what it says in verse 19. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. I, just, I love that phrase. He never forgets. He, knew, he knows what he's going to do all along. But in human terms, you know, that was her cry to be remembered by God. And so the Lord says, I remember you. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him. It's a beautiful story powerful. And if you keep reading, you find out that she falls through with her promise. Of course, Samuel becomes this mighty prophet of the Lord, the last great prophet before the Kings. And a side note that many people forget this detail, but after she had Samuel, she had many more children after that. God just released her womb. And so she was able to experience what it was like to raise children all the way up to adulthood because she kept her promise. So the obvious takeaway from this is that we need to take our burdens, our anguish, our grief, and lay it at the feet of Jesus. Lay it at the feet of our good heavenly father. And it's encouraging to have stories like this so we're reminded that God does do miracles. He does heal. He does provide breakthroughs. He does give us the longings of our hearts sometimes. It's beautiful and we should celebrate those things. But this morning I want to do more than just celebrate. I, I really, I want, to, I want to look at prayer as a whole. Because sometimes false teaching 
always has consequences. And sometimes people have experienced great pain because they do not have clear teaching. And so I want to look at a passage now in Luke. And this is found in Luke, let me get there, chapter 11. This is, again, a very famous passage. I'm going to look at verses 9 through 13. But let's start with just verses 9 and 10. It says this. This is Jesus speaking and teaching. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This sounds like one of the most encouraging passages imaginable. If you knock, the Lord will open. If you ask, you will find. If you seek, you will find. If you ask, it will be given to you. But I would venture to say that this is one of the most discouraging passages in Scripture. Because every single one of us has felt like we've knocked on a door that remained closed. That we've asked and not received. That we've sought the answers for and not got them. And so I, I feel like this verse has been like a crushing passage of Scripture on a lot of people. Because they, they know what God says is always true. But it does not feel true for them. And so the immediate conclusion is that there is something wrong with me. There is something wrong with my faith. There is something wrong with my life. There is something that, that God does not view me in the same way. There is something wrong. So either you think that God is not faithful and true, which no one wants to believe that if they're a true believer, or you think there's something wrong with you. But the problem is that there's verse is taken out of its context. And it's not considered in the context of Scripture as a whole. I want you to follow with me the next couple of verses. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what's the context? What will he give you every time you knock for it? What will he give you every time you ask? He will give you the Holy Spirit to help. The Holy Spirit is ready and waiting for you. But the other part in there, what will he give you? Good gifts. Good gifts. Sometimes the problem is we don't ask what's good for us. We don't ask for good gifts. You can't knock on the door and ask for a bad gift and a good heavenly father just give it to you. He's not going to give you a scorpion. And so we think that, oh, I, I, can, I can ask for anything. And then, and then there's another passage. 
in, in John uh, chapter 14. And he says, uh, verses, let me look at this real quick. Yes, yeah, verses 12. Verses 12 in chapter 14. Very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Another terribly misunderstood passage. Because people have taken this passage and walked away from it and saying, as long as I slap Jesus' name on it, I will get it. Whatever I ask and I say in Jesus' name, I will receive. But that is not what the passage is saying. The passage is saying you, that you can ask for anything in his name. And when you say that you are asking it in his name, you are asking it on his behalf. That's what that phrase means. You are asking it on behalf of Jesus. You are saying, God the Father, this is what Jesus wants. I am coming to you and pleading with you in his name. So if we come to the Father and ask for things that are bad for us or ask for things that are selfish for us, then we are taking the Lord's name in vain to say this is in Jesus' name. That is not how this is supposed to be understood. Jesus is saying, when you cling to the vine, when you cling to me, when you know my way and you walk with me and know what I want and know what my kingdom needs and you are with me and serving me as one of my disciples, you can ask anything in my name and it's gonna happen. But it's got to be led by the Spirit. It's got to be led by the Spirit who knows the Father and knows the Son and what they want. And then you've got to do it in his name. So yes, you can raise people from the dead. You can have miraculous healings. You can do all the things of old if the Father and the Son and the Spirit want it to happen. But our job is to get in tune with that, to know the Father and the Son and the Spirit, to know what they want, and to, to, to ride that, that train of power with them. They want to partner with us. They want to incorporate us in all the things that God does. But we got to know the Father. And so there's three things I want to share with you and I want you to keep in mind as you're praying. Three truths to keep in mind when praying. And number one is this, what you pray for matters. What you pray for matters. And if you want to have an effective prayer life, then you've got to know Jesus. You have to know what he wants and you have to partner with him to do great things for his kingdom. I'll be perfectly honest I have struggled with my prayer life over the years. It has gotten a lot better the last five years. But I, I was saved when I was very, very young. And I've always looked at my prayer life as weak. I did not feel like God listened to me. 
I did not feel like my prayers had any power. Even when I became a pastor, full-time ministry, people would come to me with their prayer requests and I'd be like, ah, you might want to take that to Jeremy. Um, or, or Liz, she's a great prayer warrior and, and there's treasure. Like, I started listing people that I knew that it seemed like God answered their prayers. I was like, I, I, don't get me wrong, I will pray for you, but you really need a backup plan because this, this, this is not what you, this is, it's not happening with, through me. And I start like analyzing and there, there's different things. I mean, part of it is just, you know, the teaching I was under in the early part of my life and, and, you know, just not believing in the power of the Holy Spirit and, and all the things he could do is it a lot of that. But there was, there was another aspect of it that I, I realized, I, come to, I came to realize why I didn't think God would answer any of my prayers. And it was because the two things that I prayed hardest about in my life didn't go my way. My first marriage, I prayed daily that it would be healthy and strong and protected and God-centered every day. So when she left for someone else and walked away from God, like, it, what do I do with that? The other thing I prayed for every day, and I have prayed for it for well over 20 years, is that one of my brothers would just come to Jesus. And I, I hope that on some level he has a relationship, but he, ha- he hasn't walked in the church for two decades, over two decades. I, and I want him to have a strong relationship. I want him to be part of a church body. And I pray for that on a daily basis, and he has yet to walk through church doors. And so I was living with this of like the two things I cared most about and was praying about just so faithfully and not seeing any progress and actually seeing it just blow up, I was like, well, like, clearly I don't have any power in my prayer. But it took God opening my eyes that I was praying for him to take away the free will of somebody else. Now, I fully believe that praying for someone's salvation and praying for someone to, to turn to God is a godly thing to do. Like that, that is lining up with the heart of Jesus. But we also need to recognize that God is a God of love. He is not going to force someone and remove their free will to turn to him. I think he will give more and more chances as a result of our prayers, but he's not going to take away their free will. And so I had to open my eyes to, like, I, I have to, sometimes you just have to give it to him that he knows best. He is being as fair as he can be. He will always be just, and he will always be good. And when I, I, I gave those things to him and started looking around at all the prayer requests he had answered, answered immediately, answered powerfully, then my faith started to grow. So what are you praying for? Are you praying for things that are near and dear to his heart? And are you praying for things that are right? 
it matters. The second is this, your level of faith and devotion matters. Your level of faith and devotion matters. So it's, it's, it's impossible to please God without faith. It also says in First Peter, it says, hey, if you, have, if you harm your spouse, husbands, if you do your spouse wrong, it's going to hinder your prayers. Jesus says, if you have something against another brother or sister that's not right, don't sit there praying in church. Go make it right. Then, then you unleash the power. He says, if you aren't willing to forgive others, you're not going to be forgiven. We have to think of the whole of Scripture. What are we doing that's hindering our prayer life? What sins are we leaving on the table? What unforgiveness is in our hearts? What wrongs are we doing to other people? Where is our faith weak? Even the disciples were not able to cast out a demon out of a child. And the answer that Jesus gave them was, you don't have enough faith. They watched his miracles. They cast out other demons. They did other miracles. They couldn't do this one because they needed more faith. Sometimes there are breakthroughs that need more faith. And there is no better way to get more faith than being thankful for the little things that God has done and then also gathering with a body of believers and, and bringing your faith together, feeding off one another. And so if you need a breakthrough, then ask the elders to pray. Bring your small group together. Tell the church, tell the prayer team. Do whatever you can to increase the faith that's driving your prayers. God wants to take care of you. The third thing that I want to talk about is this. Last reminder. Our God is both a good father and a good friend. Our God is both a good father and a good friend. I think it's easier sometimes for us to picture him as a good father. We hear that so often. It's all the way, it's all through scripture. Sometimes it's harder for those that have not had a good father. But he is the best father you could possibly imagine. He is the father of the, the prodigal son who runs every time there's a sign of repentance. And I, I hope this message did not beat you up in any way this morning. And, and please hear this. If you are broken right now, if you're struggling with sin, if you are struggling with unforgiveness, please know that there is always a prayer that God listens to. And that is repentance. You can come to him at any time. He will hear your cries and love you. He will hear your complaints and he will love you. I don't know if you've ever had a best friend, like someone that you could just tell anything with. You knew that you could share anything with and they would still love you, still care about you, still be there for you. If you've had that, then you have a taste of what it's like to have Jesus. This was hard for me for a while. I didn't like to think about Jesus as a friend. It seemed beneath him. 
There were songs, a lot of songs came out in the early 2000s about what a, what a friend Jesus was and all, all this stuff. And it was just like, kind of was kind of cringe to me. I was like, he's this holy heavenly father. Like he's that righteous judge, you know, I need to do the right thing. This friend thing bothered me. But it was reading through scripture that opened my eyes to just what great a friend he is. He talks about how he was a friend to Abraham multiple times. He talks about how he talked to Moses like a friend. But the best passage is in John 15 where he's talking to his disciples and he says this, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. We have no greater friend than Jesus. And he showed it to us by laying down his life for us on the cross. He paid for our sins. He paid our ransom. He did it so that he could restore relationship with us because he loves us. That is incredible. That is the friend that we have in Jesus. We will never have a friend like him. And you can rant, you can rave, you could scream out, you could complain, and he will listen. He already knows what's in your heart. He already knows all those things. So talk to him about it. Get it out. He's willing to listen. And he will love you just the same. All he wants is for you to come back to him. Make all your mistakes. Just don't forget to come back to him. And those that truly recognize how good a friend he is and how loving a heavenly father we have will start to follow his ways. Do the things that he wants. Live the way that he has asked us to live and start praying the prayers he wants us to pray. And so I want to close today's service with a song about friendship. I'm gonna ask Jeff to come up here. It's sad to me that this song has fallen out of rotation because it's, it's an oldie but goodie. It's what a friend we have in Jesus. So I'm gonna ask you to stand. But while I'm asking you to stand, please know that this is gonna be a choose your own adventure. I want you to connect with Jesus. And so as Jeff sings these words, you can sing along if you want. You can have a seat right where you are and just spend time laying things at the feet of Jesus. You can come to these steps and give it to the Lord. The prayer team will be in the back ready for you if you want someone to help you pray but I'm asking you to listen to these words carefully. And whatever burden, whatever grief, whatever sorrow, whatever anguish is weighing you down, I want you to lay them at the feet of Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our griefs and sins to bear. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.